Well, good morning. And welcome to week two of Church Online. You know, I know none of us like to do church like this, but aren't you glad that this morning we're still able to come together and worship together? I know that it's a little unconventional as we're in our living rooms together or we're in different parts across the city and across the county this morning. But this morning, we're going to come together and we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord. We're going to open up God's Word and we're praying that God will transform transform each of us as we dive into it this morning. As I was preparing for this message, I came across some, some, um, some video or some, some memes of how church looks different today because of the coronavirus. And I want to just show you a few of those little clips. The first one here is that communion has actually become a sport. And the next one here is, I want you to know that tithing is still important. If you bought 30 rolls of toilet paper, you owe three to the church. Tithing has not been canceled, even though meeting under the church house has been um, right now. And the next one here is that I want to introduce to you the social distancing world champion. There he is right there. The next one, this is one of my favorites, but social distancing baptistry. Okay, I've already got some volunteers ready to throw the ball at the red target to do our next baptismal service. And then my final one here, this one is for Jeremy, Jeremy, because I know that as the church drummer, he is the only one protected from the coronavirus. And so there you go, Jeremy. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 17 together. Last week, um, we began chapter 4 together. We looked at the first 10 verses together. And and what we looked at last week um, was this. James instructed us to avoid conflicts, to avoid um, external conflicts and spiritual, um, which lead to spiritual battles. And all of that begins from internal battles that, that rage within us. When we allow that, that internal battle to, to get out of it, it affects our relationships with one another. It re- affects our relationship with the Lord. And so we looked at that. We also looked at the importance of drawing near to God. And we looked at how all of us need to live him humbly before our God. Now this morning, James is going to address our speech with us as well as our planning. And our message point this morning is God is in control. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God is in control, that he is in control of your life, that he is in control of the coronavirus? He's got you and he has this. He is in control of today, just like he will be in control of tomorrow, just like he was in control of our yesterdays. He is in absolute control. This virus does not surprise our God. In fact, I believe this virus has become a wake-up call to remind all of us of our need to come together on a daily basis and get alone with the Lord and pray and read and study. You know, we've been walking through our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I've been doing daily videos as 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 helps for all of us as we walk through these 21 days together. And often I've said that, that this virus does not surprise our God. If anything, it's been a wake-up call to us as his church. I think that this virus has reminded me just how precious my family is, how precious the church is, how precious 
fellowship is with one another and how precious our salvation is and how precious our security in Christ is. I hope it has also woken us up to the reality of just how precious life is and how fragile life is. You know, for us, this virus shouldn't scare us or worry us because we know that to take our last breath on this side of eternity is to be welcomed into the heavenlies, to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. But there are billions upon billions of people around this world that if they were to die of the coronavirus or to die from cancer or to tragically die from 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 some unknown um, circumstance, they are going to spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. And so this virus, I hope, has been a wake-up call to us as the church, moving us and pressing us and, 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 and convicting us of, us of our need to share the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with. Folks, this virus is indeed a wake-up call to the church. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 17 together. But before we dive into God's Word, let's pray. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus. And Father, we, we do admit that we are in desperate need of more of you. Father, even in the midst of, of these uncertain times, Lord, we know that you are absolutely on the throne. We know that you are absolutely in control. We know that the, this virus, the diseases that, that, that are present within our country and around this world, these are not a surprise to you. In fact, Father, if anything, Lord Jesus, these, Father, things have reminded us of our great need for you, of our of our. Of our current state, Lord, as humans, that, that all of us are, are, are just here for a moment. Lord, our days are numbered. And so, Father, we need to make sure that we have gotten our life right with you and that we have placed our faith and trust in you. And I pray even this morning, Lord, for everyone that's watching this, this, this um, service this morning, that if they do not have a relationship with you, that today you will draw them unto salvation. Today will be the day that, Father, they repent of their sins and they cry out to you to be Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, do something remarkable today within all of our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, notice our first point this morning. It is this. Watch your speech. In James chapter 4, beginning in verses 11 and 12, we read these. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James has a lot to say about our speech, Dutney, and we've seen this already as we've walked through the first three chapters of James together, reaching all the way back to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. We read these words. James wrote, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is 
able to save your souls. Then in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, James speech talks about how the tongue is, is a lethal member within our body. He compares it to a horse's bridle. He compares it to a ship's rudder. He talks about it as being a flame of fire and calls it a world of unrighteousness. In fact, those unwholesome things that we say to others... James says that those sayings are generated literally from the pit of hell. And then he goes on to write in verses 9 and 10, With it we bless our Lord, with our mouth, with our tongues, with our speech, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. With this mouth we both Praise God, and we see here we curse our neighbor. And James says this ought not to be so. Last week we closed with verse 10 from James chapter 4, which states, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So now continuing his theme, James shows us what humility requires. In verse 11 again we read, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now James is specifically speaking to the church here. He warns the church against speaking ill toward one another. You know, I've been a part of the church for a very, very long time. And I will have to say that there, there have been more harsh words spoken towards me by those within the church than by those outside of the church, by brothers and sisters in Christ. And James is saying that that is going on within this church that he is writing to. They're fighting with one another. They're, they're using harsh language toward one another. And James is saying that that should not be the case. But here's the deal. When we are under pressure, like those whom James was writing to, sometimes we tend to react in a negative way, especially toward those that we love the most. Isn't that true? Hasn't that happened in your life? I mean, think about your immediate family unit. Think about the last couple of weeks as you've been kind of sheltered in place and as you've been kind of relegated to living under your own roof, unable to get out and do life like you typically do at the schoolhouse or at the workhouse or even the church house. You probably have allowed um, your, your words to get the best of you, right? Probably things have been spoken toward one another that probably shouldn't be said. I know that's happened to me. Um, in our household, I've said things that I know that I shouldn't. And all of that occurs because of the pressure of this world. And James is saying, hey, stop it. Don't let those things be present in the church. And we know also those things shouldn't be present in our homes. So again, James wrote, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. That statement is nothing new to us, is it? From the time we were young, we were taught, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. Okay, you know that. And that's true for the two-year-old as well as the 62-year-old. If we don't have anything nice to say, we shouldn't say anything at all. To speak evil of another person means to put down or to criticize or to slander them. How many of you are struggling right now with this temporary normal that we're in right now? You know, I know that I am. I know that um, 
people in my own household are. And if I, if, if I could see your hands this morning, I know that they would be up because we're all kind of struggling with this temporary new normal. I was texting with a good friend of mine this week, and he indicated that he and his family are having a real hard time with this sheltering in place and social distancing. In fact, he said these words. He says, you know we are extroverts, and you know how extroverts handle seclusion it's not pretty. And I know this family very, very well. And I promise you, it's probably not pretty in their household right now. You know, well, some, sometimes living in seclusion causes us to respond in negative ways. That happens in the church house as well as our own house. Solomon wrote these words in Proverbs 31. He wrote these words of a virtuous woman, of a woman of a virtuous wife, of a virtuous mother. He wrote these words, he said in Proverbs 31, 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. You know, when I think about my wife, my mom, my mother-in-law, and many of the women that are part of my life, they speak words of kindness 99.9% of the time. That's not always the case with me, but we can learn a great deal from Solomon who spoke of this virtuous woman. We need to be people of kindness and respond kindly to other people. James goes on to write, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. I know that that's a mouthful, but what James is saying here is that if you speak evil against your brother or judge your neighbor, you actually are speaking ill against God's word, against God's law. And you may say, how is that true? And, 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 and it's true because Jesus made it clear in Matthew 28 that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love our neighbor. So when we judge our no neighbor and look down on our neighbor, we actually slander them. We are judging the law since we are not loving our neighbor. So here's what we need to remember, that God is the ultimate judge. In verse 12, we read, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? There is only one judge and guess what? You're not that judge, and I'm not that judge. God is the judge. We need to remember that. You know, yes, we have been called to take the good news of salvation to this world. And as we take the good news of salvation to this world, we have been called and set apart to share with others that they are sinners. And so, yes, we have to lead people to recognize their sin, but we're not the judge of that sin. That is God's job. So let's remember that this morning. Notice our second point. So James is going to transition here. He's going to change his tune, and he's going to begin, begin discussing right ways to plan and wrong ways to to plan. And so our second point is this, planning for the future. In verses 13 and 14, we read, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so we see here three kind of sub points. The first one is this, a self-centered planning, self-centered planning. 
Verse 13, we see this person. James addresses this person and these people. He says, come you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town, spend a year there, trade, and make a profit. When I read these words, I think of planners, okay? Um, I know a lot of planners. And when, when I'm talking about planners here, I'm talking about people that, that, that when the COVID-19 showed its ugly face, you were not surprised by that. Man, you were not caught off guard. You were more than prepared. In fact, some of you, because I've talked to you, you've been planning for something like this all of your adult life. And, 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 and your refrigerators were stocked. Your pantries were overflowing. Your spam supply kin was in abundance. And, and you have more than enough toilet paper to, to make it through this virus as well as every other virus probably that will ever hit our country. Am I right? Others like, uh, of you are more like me. Okay? You um, kind of are more spontaneous. You kind of live in the moment. Um, when the virus hit and you heard that all the toilet paper and, and meat and all these other things were being stripped from the grocery stores, you rushed to the grocery store because you kind of buy groceries daily or one week at a time, right? So you got two different pictures of planners, those who overly plan and those that kind of spontaneously plan out their day. Well, what James is doing is James is writing to a group of people that had overly planned every detail of their lives. Man, they sketched out A, B, C, D, E, F. They had a con contingency plan even if the first things didn't work. And, and we see this in this passage of Scripture. They knew the wind. They knew when they were going because Scripture say they were going today or tomorrow. They knew the where, such and such town. They knew the how. They were going to be gone for a year. They knew the what. They were going to trade goods. And they knew the end game. They knew the why. They were going to make a profit. Not only were they going to make a profit, but they were probably going to make a ton of money. They were going to make a ton of Benjamins. They were going to be able to support their family and their extended family because they were planned and prepared and ready to go. Here's the problem with the who, what, when, where, and why. It is, it is this. Notice what these men and women did. They did leave out the who. Where was God in their planning? Nowhere in their plan did they allow for God to be a part of it. And that's why James is addressing them. He's not chastising them for being planned up. He's chastising them because they didn't allow God to be a part of their planning process. You know, growing up, and I've shared this before with you, I had a plan. Man, I wanted to be a marine biologist. My room gave testimony of this for my 16th birthday, I didn't get a car. I actually got a fish tank. And so in my room, I had the freshwater aquarium, the saltwater aquarium. I had the goldfish tank, the beta tank. I had other tanks in there. I had a water bed. Man, water was my future. That was my plan. But God made it clear that that was not his plan for my life. My junior year of high school was when God called me into the ministry. And I'll never forget that day. I was laying in my room and I, and I was praying. I was like, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Because I knew at that time that God was saying, it's not going to be, my, be a marine biologist. And on that day in my room, God said, you're going to be a disciple of mine, a disciple of maker. And he called me into the ministry. I left God out of my early plans. 
but God made it sure that he was going to be a part of my permanent plans. How about you? Where does God fit into your life? Where does God fit into your planning this morning and in future mornings? Those people James was writing to had completely left God out of their plans. And I'm pretty sure that a month or so ago, you and I had some, some specific plans in place. We had a financial plan. We had career plans. We had family plans. We probably had already made some vacation plans for this summer. We had a retirement plan. And if you've looked at your 401k lately, you realize that that plan's probably been put on the back burner for right now. Well, many of those plans were turned upside down because of the coronavirus, right? So James goes on to speak of what reckless planning looks like. In the first part of verse 14, he says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. None of us plan for a pandemic like the COVID-19. This pandemic has changed all of us. It's changed our yesterdays and our tomorrows. But here is the reality. We can plan for the future, but to leave God out of our future planning is absolutely dangerous. How many of you have ever heard the saying, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift, that is why it is called the present. Today has been given to us by the Lord. Let us live it sold out to him. Let me ask you a question this morning. If you knew what the future had in store for you, how would you live your life differently? If you knew that you were going to come in to a great deal of wealth, I mean, when I'm talking wealth, I'm talking about millions upon millions of dollars were going to be gifted to you. How would you live your life differently? You know, I'd probably live my life a little bit more prideful, um, a little bit more puffed puffed up, probably look down on people because of all that I have. What if you knew that this time next year there wasn't going to be the COVID-19 that we were dealing with, but the COVID-20 that we were dealing with? You'd probably live your life kind of like you may be living it right now with some fear and some anxiety and some uncertainty. Well, here's what we know. We know that there is one future that is absolutely certain. And that is that every single one of us one day are going to take our final breath on this side of eternity. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that what your eternity has in store for you, it is being ushered into the presence of the kingdom of God. If you're not a believer this morning, then I want you to know this morning that your eternity is secure if you don't repent of your sins. And that will be eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. So notice our next subpoint. it is this. There's one plan that is important, that is our eternal planning. In verse 14b we read, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The Bible is not against planning. All of us need to have plans, plans for today and plans for tomorrow. But we must make sure that God is the one leading our plans, that he is the CEO and that he is the manager, that he is the one that is guiding 
guiding our plans and giving us our marching orders. Here's what we know. James just point this out, pointed this out. The Lord has pointed this out to us this morning. Life is short. James, in fact, refers to it as a mist or a vapor that comes with the morning sun. It is there above the open water. You see here on this screen here that mist that is rising above that open water. And then as that sun begins to rise, it's going to burn that mist away. And that's a picture of what our life is like. We are just a mist or a vapor that are, we're here for a moment, but there's going to come a day when we're no longer here. John Blatchard writes, The moment a man is born, he begins to die. And death could come at any moment, time at any time by design. It could come at any time by disease or disaster or decay. Man is not here to stay. He is here to go. You and I are not here to stay. We were created not for this world, but we were created for a future world. And one day we're going to take our final breath here, and if we're believers, we'll be ushered into the kingdom of God. There's one guarantee in life, and that is that all of us will die unless Jesus comes back first. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that day. Are you? The psalmist wrote these words, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. In Psalm 144:4, we read, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. You know, I don't share these verses with you this morning to discourage you, but to give you a hope for eternity. Jesus is going to return, and for the believer, the Lord will snatch us away from this world, and he's going to usher us into his kingdom. Here is what we know. One writer shared, life is short, death is sure, sin is the cause, Christ is a cure. Do you know Jesus this morning? If you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? If you're a member of Friendship Baptist Church this morning, please call me if you don't know Jesus. I would love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have my phone number and if you're not a part of this church, email me at fbctruth at gmail.com. You also see here the church phone number. Call us. We'd love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I promise you there is no greater decision that you could ever make than to enter into an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to experience freedom in life, allow Jesus Christ to come into your life and you will know what freedom is and what freedom looks like if you enter into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, as he was conversing with the Pharisee Nicodemus, spoke these words to him. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. And he came into this sin-filled world to die for you and to prove to you that he loves you. He proved to all of us that he wanted to show us his great love for us. In Romans 3.23, we read these words. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us that are listening to this video this morning, 
Every single one of us are sinners. Every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. I am a sinner. You're a sinner. All of us are sinners. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the consequences for those sins, that the wages for those sin is death. For the wages of sin is death is what that passage of Scripture says. What you and I deserve is an eternal death separated from God. But notice what this next part of this verse says. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we deserve is death. But the gift of Jesus for all of us, when he died on the cross for our sins, he provided a way for all of us to enter into an eternal relationship with him. He shed his blood, and that blood covers us. And provides a way for us to be forgiven for our sins. You know Jesus this morning. If not, why not? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 that if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We will be saved. Have you, ever, have you confessed Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? The Bible says if you'll do that in Romans 10, 13. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. That is to repent of your sins. If you don't know him, reach out to us. We'd love to share with you more about how you can come to know him. Next, James gives us some very wise counsel. In verse 15 we read, Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It is okay to make make plans. Just make sure that those plans are led and directed by the Lord. In Proverbs 16, 9, we read, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Our theme for this series has been a faith that works. Do you know what, what, what a faith that works looks like? It looks like us making this statement, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that or go to here or there. That's what it looks like. Jesus made it clear while he dwelt among us that he he was about doing the will of his father. Jesus modeled for us what life should look like. Jesus said that he hadn't come for himself, but he came to fulfill the will of his father here on this earth. So you and I, as we go about life, we too must recognize that all of our decisions should be predicated with the statement, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, I will start such and such business. If the Lord wills, I will go to work for such and such person. If the Lord wills, I will go to such and such school. If the Lord wills, I will pursue such and such a profession. If the Lord wills, I will marry such and such person. If the Lord wills, I will enjoy retirement, investing my time and my resources into such and such ministry. How would our lives look different? How would our families look lives look different? How would our church look different if we prayed for the will of the Lord to be done as Jesus directed us to do when he modeled for us what prayer should look like? You remember the prayer of the Lord? When he modeled for us what, 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 what the Lord's prayer should look like? We see here in Matthew 6, 9 through 10a, pray then like this, Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and notice this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer should be, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this 
or that. Then James finally gives us a very, very clear warning this morning. Notice verses 16 through 17. It says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. So James first addresses a warning against boasting. It amazes me how quickly people are, give um, credit to themselves for their talents and their accomplishments. We all know people like this. We know musicians that do this, athletes that do this, actors that do this, artists that do this. We even know some preachers that do this. That's all about me, all about what I've done, all about this kingdom that I have built. You turn the television on and you'll see preacher after preacher making those kind of statements. We know politicians like this. We know CEOs and other business people um, or, or those within academia that speak in a pride-filled way about what they have accomplished in this life. You know, they may boast in what they have done, but understand all gifts and all talents that have been given to any person under the sun has been given to them by God. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, we read, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Every gift and every talent given to both a believer and a non-believer has been given to us by God. Many have been given talents and failed to recognize the giver of those talents. Can you imagine what would happen if those that don't know Jesus, that are incredibly talented, would use those talents to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? Imagine how quickly the gospel was spread around this world if we gave due credit where due credit is, 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 is due. Or think about it like this. What would happen if you used your talents that God has given you to benefit the church, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world? Imagine the number of lives that will be forever transformed by Jesus if you would just do that. You know, notice next what 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 James does. He warns us against wrong living. In verse 17, again, we read, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. And those are some powerful words right there. I mean, James is saying if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, then you are, are being a sinner. And none of us wake up in the morning purposely intending to sin, do we? Well, what James is doing here is James is kind of wrapping up the first four chapters of what he's talked about, what he's addressed to these people. Understand that they didn't walk through this, this book over a series of weeks like we are. They read this letter in one setting, and so James is kind of putting a book into the first four chapters here. And what he's doing is he is telling us, he's telling his readers that, that, that we are to find joy during times of trial. You know, I know it's hard right now to find joy in the midst of, of, of sheltering in place, but I promise you that if we spend more time focused on, focusing on Jesus and less time complaining, that we'll find joy even in the midst of our, our current situation. James talked about how we are to pray to the Lord for wisdom. 
He talked about how we are to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. We are not to show partiality toward others. We are to keep our tongues under control. He, he shared, and we looked at this um, last week, that we need to guard ourselves against worldly living. And we need to recognize the sovereignty of God when it comes to the plans for our lives. James makes it clear that if you and I do not put into practice the above, if we not, do not put into practice God's word, then what we are doing is we are indeed sinning. Once again, none of us woke up this morning or any morning intentionally planning to sin against God, especially if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We sin against God, though, when we leave him out of our lives and when we make decisions independently of him. Let us learn to pray for God's will to be done and not our will to be done. You know, I know that this morning that, that there is somebody that is listening in this morning into our service. And you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to once again invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make in your life. You, you'll see the number again here. You'll see my email address. Reach out to us. We'd love to share with you more about Jesus. You may be on the other side of this video. You may be a part of Friendship Baptist Church, or you may not be a friend, part of Friendship Baptist Church, and you've been living your life for you all of the days of your life. You've been making plans independent of God. You've been saying, my will be done, not thy will be done. And let me challenge all of us this morning to make the declaration every single day, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, as we conclude our message this morning, I hope and I pray that very soon we're able to come back together under the roof of this, of this building, of this church house. But until that day comes, let's continue to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's continue to love one another well. Let's continue to watch the things that we speak. And let's continue to plan that when we are able to get out of the house, that we will leave the house and we will be armed and ready for the mission that God has for us. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we come before you now thanking you again Father, for the opportunity to worship you. Thanking you for, again for the opportunity to open up your word together. I know that we're doing this in unconventional ways, Lord, but that's okay. Father, we know that you are still in the midst of our homes right now, in the midst of this, this room right now. Father, you are present all over this world. And so, Father, we pray this morning that if there is someone that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day that, that we know you're drawing them unto salvation, but today will be the day that they recognize this and that they repent of their sins and that they cry out to you to be Lord and Savior of their life. Father, do what only you can do. Radically transform our lives. Radically conform us into your image. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I want to just kind of remind you that as we... Um, Enter into day eight tomorrow of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Continue to, to watch the videos. Continue to share those videos. Continue to pray specifically for, um, 
for, for each one of those prayer points. I may make a couple of adjustments as we walk through that today or together, but, but continue to pray and fast as we move forward together as a faith family. Um, again, we won't have Wednesday night services for the foreseeable future until we're, um, we're given the all clear. And also, let me just um, remind you that this past week we did get online giving up. So you can go to fbcfairview.org slash giving, and, and you can certainly um, give. Thank you again. I'm praying for you, and let's be the church today.